it's Chris Wendelkin, and this is On The Line, my NBA podcast where I talk to friends of mine living around the country about all these hoops. We do some NBA-related deep dives, some drafts, some news and notes from around the league. Thanks for tuning in. If you're new to the show, you can tweet at me at OnTheLine underscore pod. Find me on Instagram if that's your thing. Send me any of your NBA questions at onthelinepod at gmail.com. Check out previous episodes on our website, onthelinepodcast.com. Hop into a deep dive. Check out drafts, all that stuff. It's all up there. Last, if you could rate, review, subscribe to the show in Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts, I would greatly appreciate it. All right, guys, welcome back. Um, how the hell are you? I hope you've had a good week. I apologize. This episode is getting out a little late uh, today in the day on Monday. Um, I have just had a crazy, crazy, crazy couple busy uh, few days here, so I'm running a little bit behind. So apologies for the delay, but alas, here we are. Um, the NBA season is, uh, t- there's like two, two and a half weeks left. The playoffs will be here any second, and uh, I have a couple of exciting uh, ideas for the playoffs. I'm, I'm excited to unveil those um, once once we get there in two weeks, but I will save that for then. In the meantime, I figured uh, now is as good a time as any while the uh, the season was coming to a close here to continue the the Allen Iverson series that we were that uh, Ben and I have been working on so um, with that in mind if you missed any of the previous episodes at this point we have released four prior chapters on Allen Iverson I believe it's episodes 29 30 35 and 55 I believe um, they're all titled Iverson feel free to hit pause on this on this podcast go check out those previous episodes all right so with that in mind let's pick up where we left off today ben and i are discussing the incredible mvp campaign of ai during the 2000 2001 nba season now this season is so massive and there's so much to talk about we're not going to do it all in one episode so today we're just focusing on the regular season and the first half of, of ai's playoff run in 2001 so this spans everything from his incredible scoring streak uh his body breaking down the uh the elbow bursitis ai and the the shooting sleeve the infamous shooting sleeve AI's impact on um, NBA uh, culture and the way people were dressing, and uh, and of course the uh, the beginning of the playoff run, the historic game against Vince Carter and the Toronto Raptors. So, without further ado, let's just hop into it. I hope you enjoy this episode. This is the life and times of Allen Iverson, Chapter Five. The 2000-2001 season. So this is Allen's fifth year in the league, right? 96, 97, 98, 99, 2000. Yep. Um, the Sixers go 56-26. It is their best year. They get the first seed. Um, it's, their, it's their best year you know, in, in Iverson's career. Um, and Iverson plays his best season. Right. Averages at that point a career best 31 points per game. Yes. He leads the league in points per game. He leads the league in steals at 2.5. Um, he's second in the league in minutes per game at 42 per game. Um, he is first team all NBA. And of course he wins the most valuable player award. And it is like not close. He got, um, 93 first place votes uh, compared to 18 for the second place, Tim Duncan. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, also beats out uh, Shaquille O'Neal, Shaq, Kevin Garnett, Chris Webber. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean one of the one of the great seasons um, for like a you know little guy in NBA history. We should also probably point out uh, on on a on a team note that Larry Brown was named NBA Coach of the Year, right? And Dikembe Mutombo, who was acquired in a trade from the Hawks, wins Defensive Player of the Year for the fourth time in his career, and. And Aaron McKee is also the NBA Sixth Man of the Year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. At some point in this pod, I don't know if it's—I don't know if this is the season to start having the discussion, or if it's more of like a retrospective. Uh, once we're at the point where he's like ready to retire, but at some point we're going to have to like digest and process some of these stats. Um, yeah, I, I was like, thinking we would save some stats until like sort of the end. Totally. And we I can kind of re- recap point, his career think, looking at all the numbers. I think, you know, the, the, there are a lot of detractors. There are a lot of people who talk about, you know, who point to Allen Iverson's, like, selfishness and the fact that he never won an NBA championship. You know, like, when people were making the case for his Hall of Fame candidacy, a, a lot of his haters like to, to point to that stuff. And people who, you know, supported his case for the Hall of Fame you know, the statistics bear out that like this guy was a freak. And at some point we should, you know, towards the end of his career, have a conversation about like just the longevity of his statistical output, like points per game, steals. I I think for, for me, like minutes per game is a stat that like we were just going to have to wrap our head around at some point, try to wrap our heads around. Um, yeah, I was going to say, out of out player. of all of the numbers that we'll discuss, minutes per game might be the one that's like just the most, most impressive. inconceivable and eye-popping. Um, yeah. Yeah, which is, yeah. All right, but let's dive in. Let's dive in specifically with the 2000-2001 season. So it's his MVP. It's his MVP campaign, um, 31 points a game. We talk about the accolades of the other guys on the team. Larry Larry Brown's your coach of the year. Uh, Aaron McKee, your sixth man, defensive player of the year, Dikembe Mutombo, uh, manning, manning the center position. Right. And so he had kind of, um, prior to the season's start, he, he had kind of famously had this, this big powwow with Larry Brown, um, you know, following the, 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 that huge trade that fell apart, the four-team trade. Um, he kind of uh, regrouped with Larry Brown and, and said, you know, like, listen, like I'm willing to kind of change my style and I want to take on more responsibility. I want to be a leader for this team. Um, he had actually never been named team captain up until then. Um, so he said he wants to be team captain. Larry Brown, uh, gave him that distinction. Um, and he basically like said, I'm going to buy into your system. Like I know I've been, yeah, I've been, I've been, uh, you know, painting your ass, uh, your entire time here. But this is the year I'm going to try to change my ways, and I want right. to. I want you to actually coach me, and I'm going to listen to what you tell me, and I'm going to try to become the player that you want me to become. And basically, it happened. It worked. He was, you know, he played this incredible season, named league MVP, um, and the Sixers succeeded as a team. Um, they uh, got the first seed in the East, um, and they proceeded uh, through this like insane epic uh, playoff run. Uh, culminating, of course, in the NBA Finals against the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, but before we get to the finals, um, mm-hmm. one quick note. It was in January of that season, oh, yeah. January 21st, 2001, to be precise, a home game against the Toronto Raptors 
Uh, ready, Iverson, baby. for the very first time, wore a shooting sleeve on his right arm. Um, now, this was initially due to a case of bursitis in his elbow. Um, his shooting elbow. Yeah, his shooting elbow um, on his right arm. So it was uh, a guy named Lenny Courier, who was the then trainer of the 76ers, who cut a swath of tube bandage uh, called a compression stockinette uh, and, uh, and, and said to Iverson, hey, try it on, you know, see if it helps with the elbow at all. Um, so Iverson agreed. He put it on. And that very night, he went out and scored 51 points on uh, 20 of 40 field goal shooting. So 40 field goals, 40. That's uh, an insane number of shots to shoot with uh, elbow bursitis. Um, But apparently the sleeve made him feel like a superhero, completely invincible. And um, so he uh, basically uh, decided then and there, I'm going to wear this sleeve for the rest of my career. Um, A few months after that, Iverson debuted a uh, repurposed compression stockinette um, from uh, designed by a then nascent sportswear company called Under Armour. Um, and they basically had contacted Courier, like, after they saw this thing, this sleeve, full arm sleeve, which no player had ever decided, you know, thought to wear on his, like, a full, like, covering your entire arm with a sleeve, like, that doesn't, like, make any sense. Why would you do that? You know, obviously, players had knee pads and elbow pads and wrist pads for wiping sweat and headbands and all sorts of things, but a full sleeve uh, spandex sleeve on your arm had never been conceived of up until then. This was effectively like an ace bandage that was like the size of like your femur. And, um, you know, I mean, obviously neither of us is like a medical es- expert or anything, but from what I understand from just a little Googling around, bursitis is basically you have some fluid that creates inflammation in your elbow uh, or, you know, it, it can occur in your hips, your elbow, your you know, your joints. And, um, obviously like surgery wasn't an option for him. This was during the season. So the, the compression sleeve was basically something designed to designed to sort of alleviate some of the stress and the pain. And, um, you know, like you mentioned, he goes out that night in January of 2001, drops 51 points. And then from that moment forward goes on to average 35 points a game for the rest of the season. He takes the Sixers to the finals and winds up wearing a sleeve for the rest of his career. When everybody started looking like I looked, that's when I realized that I was a trendsetter. When I started seeing guys wear the do-rag and hats and the the jerseys and stuff like that, you know, and the sleeve and and getting the cornrows and then everybody flooding themselves with tattoos, stuff like that, you know, I sat back and, man, that's cool. You know what I mean? Like, everybody is trying to look like themselves but look like you yeah. you know what I mean like I'm cool with you know being who I am and looking like I look but you know the cornrows and tattoos and baggy clothes and the baggy uniform and yeah. all that stuff okay well everybody know where that come from yeah. you know what I mean and, and that was just a a great great feeling but like I said before it was bittersweet yeah. because I had to take I had to take the whooping for it, you know what I mean? I had to, you know, I was the I was the cover boy for it. So, you know, obviously I had to take the backlash from it, but it's bittersweet now because 
now other guys can be themselves and look like they want to look without a problem. <laughs> it's incredible. It's the most AI thing. And of course, you know, Allen Iverson was, you know, we talked about it with the cornrows. Uh, we'll start, you know, to talk about some of his, his, uh, the clothing that he wore and stuff. But Allen Iverson was a cultural and fashion icon. Yeah. And soon everyone around the league <laughs> started wearing a shooting sleeve. Yeah. LeBron James famously started wearing a shooting sleeve, irrespective of their medical leave. Oh, yeah. Their of course. Comple- completely unrelated I, to any sort of issue with your body. Yeah. All these, all these players that were suddenly wearing elbow sleeves or, or shooting sleeves, you know, they, all these guys didn't have bursitis. Yeah. They, they were wearing shooting sleeves because they wanted to be Allen Iverson. It was a bursitis know, and, and, epidemic that swept through the league <laughs> that season. Right, right. Guys were just dropping like flies. No one knew what was up. But this was like, this is, this is part of the theme the narrative of Allen Iverson, which is that he was um, he was an icon. Like, there's really no other word for it. But literally, he was the he was the reason that guys were getting their uh, arms and legs and necks tattooed. You know, like the, you see these. You, there was this influx of players um, inking up their skin. That was because of Allen Iverson. You saw this influx. The influx of players all of a sudden with these like great. Uh, uh, cornrows. That was because of Allen Iverson. You see players wearing the shooting sleeves, the baggy shorts. That was about Allen Iverson. People wanted to be Allen Iverson. The headband, that was about Allen Iverson. Um, so this is like, I, I the, the sleeve is really one of those uniquely AI kind of moments. And it's uh, it's just a fun thing to point and remember is like, wow, that was the moment where we got shooting sleeves. It's just crazy, like the impact uh, that, the, that the guy had. Um... And and yeah, so as I, as I mentioned, the Under Armour was the was the first company, and like literally, like because of the shooting sleeve, like that, like made their company. Like that was like one of the first products that they that they really uh, kind of blew up with. Um, I also want to point out, Ben, like the, uh, I mean, I don't want to make too big of a deal of this, but just like there is an interesting thread or storyline with uh, trainers. And the Sixers, mm-hmm. like, you know, Pat, Pat Croce, obviously, we, we talked about a few chapters ago at this point, but Pat, Pat Croce was a trainer, uh, a physical therapist, a trainer who would later move on to become a partial owner and the president of the Sixers. And, you know, there is just like this interesting relationship between the Sixers, Allen Iverson, and the training staff, the medical staff, um, and in part because Allen Iverson was always hurt, you know, and, and playing through pain. Um, like he was, he, that became part of his image and his brand was this, like this little man who was playing through pain, playing against every, you know, uh, against all odds was playing through all these aches and pains. Um, and I don't know. I just wanted, I just wanted to point that out there. I just found it interesting that like, once again, we were having another conversation about, the training staff and the medical staff and the trainers with the Sixers and Allen Iverson. That's totally right. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm racking my brain. I'm wishing I, I remembered the name. Um, cause he had like a very, uh, special relationship actually with a, uh, a trainer at Georgetown. Um, yeah, that he, um, who later I think developed cancer or something. And, um, that's right. The Washington, so the Washington post was doing a story on AI. They reached out to John Thompson and they, that's right. That's right. So the Washington post 
reach out, reaches out to John Thompson for a comment about basically the struggles of Allen Iverson in his post NBA days and how it's going and do they and does he have any thoughts so this article and, this article was written by kent babb that's the guy that this that's is right this article right. was, was basically the, the the seed of, of the book that he went on to write that's right um so thompson didn't offer any comment for the article but he re- he recommended a discussion with Lori michael georgetown's longtime trainer she answered in a phone conversation that um you know, normally she doesn't do interviews, but for Iverson, she'd make an exception. She says, quote, you go along in life and you run into people and some people intrigue you more, maybe, I don't know, or they just treat you differently. Uh, Michael underwent surgery for, for a brain tumor in, Ju- in June 2011. Amid the emails and cards was a note from Iverson. It wouldn't be the last time he checked in. She said she remembers pe- that she said that he remembers people and their paths because his was so unlikely. He appreciates how others reach their goals. He would see people for what they were, she said. Earlier in this year, Michael contacted Iverson. She heard about the divorce and wanted to know how he was doing. Fine, he told her. And she chose to believe him. Shortly before Michael was inducted into the Feb- February 9th into Georgetown's Hall of Fame, Iverson asked someone to point a camera at him and ask him about practice. The blurry footage would be sent to Washington to play during the s- ceremony. He stood at a lectern, his hat, cro- his hat crooked, and mimicked his famous rant. We talking about love, he began. <laughs> not Coach Thompson, not the baddest guard that ever played at Georgetown, not Alonzo Mourning, not Patrick Ewing, not Takimbe Mutombo. I'm supposed to be here talking about Georgetown, but we talking about love. We talking about love, Miss Michael? Oh, we're talking about love. He paused. I love you. I miss you. Well-deserved congratulations. I love you. I can't put it into words how much I love you. So yeah. there you go. And that was for a fucking trainer that he just, you know, knew from his college days. And that just shows you, like, you know, yeah. He, as we'll talk about, he did some bad shit in his life, but he, you know, was just uh, so, like, loyal and loving to to the people that, you know, he uh, he cared about. Almost like, yeah, I I don't want to say loyal to a fault, but, like, he just, he couldn't, he couldn't escape his loyalty. Like he, yeah. he was just, he just like, he would live and die with people that mattered to him for better and for worse. And, and, and in this case it was for the better, you know, like this is, this is a great story. We sort of went down a, a tangent there about trainers. Yeah, uh, exactly. And, and I, relationship and trainers. With Alan Iverson. We could do an entire pod about his relationship with his trainers. Um, yeah. But, um, so yeah, so getting back on course here, um, yes. still in this, in the 2001 season. Um, so, um, this is another point that I, that I want to bring up and we kind of touched on it earlier. Um, but this is kind of like swinging back in the other direction from the good Allen Iverson to talk about the bad Allen Iverson, but it was, um, in the, during the 2001 season. Well, I think Ben, just one important thing, like a- actually it's not probably an accident that we started talking about trainers and health and stuff because it's during this 2000, 2001 season that like the aches and pains with AI, the physical aches and pains are starting to take a toll. Yeah. They're starting and, to pile up, I would say. And, to the point where Larry Brown actually, you know, it's first of all, it's a veteran heavy, heavy team. Um, re- real quick, the roster for this group is Raja Bell, Rodney Buford, Speedy Claxton, Matt Geiger, Tyrone Hill, Allen Iverson, Jermaine Jones, George Lynch, Todd McCullough, Aaron McKee, Rashawn McLeod, 
Dikembe Mutombo, Kevin Ali, Pepe Sanchez, and Eric Snow. So it's it's very much, um, you know, it's a, veter- it's a veteran-heavy group, but also this was like the era of the NBA when guys like, Allen Iverson would play 40 minutes a night. There is there is no such thing, you know, there is no such thing as really as someone like playing 28 minutes. It's like, if you're a starter, you played, you know, 30 plus minutes a night. You play, Or in AI's case, you played 40 minutes a night. Yeah, as you say, so it was close, his, much closer to 40 in his case. Um, with, his, with his style of play too, he was so physical. He took such a pounding that, you know, it's it, like I said, it's not an accident that we are just started talking about the training staff and their relationship to AI because he's he's taking a lot of uh, he, he's taking a bruising. So a- actually, Larry Brown, towards the end of the season, makes a concerted effort to rest his team. At one point, the team was 41 and 14, but they finished the season 15 and 12 through through the last, you know, 27 games of the season. And actually, in the last game of the year. Um, against the Chicago, the lowly Chicago Bulls at home, Larry Brown rests his starters. Yes, and which would prove to be win, a critical, critical mistake. <laughs> mistake, because had the Sixers won that game, they would have had the league's um, second best record, I guess, behind the Spurs, and that would have given them home court advantage over the Lakers in the NBA Finals. Obviously, hindsight is twenty twenty, et cetera, et cetera. But it's just an interesting anecdote that, um, you know, like health and, and preserving AI's health is becoming a bigger and bigger consideration. Um, we should also, at some point, we'll, we'll have to share on Twitter the graphic, uh, the famous graphic that NBC created uh, during Game One of the Finals oh, yeah. with all the all the little red dots. Of course, <laughs> uh, which yeah, I, of course. Which I really we should love. give we should give the the listening audience a visual. So basically, uh, we will we'll, once we get there, we'll detail this a little further. But they they. Um, during the first game of the NBA Finals, they show a graphic with Allen Iverson's body. <laughs> it's like a doctor's chart, and they have all these little pink dots all over his body. They have one like on his elbow, one on his neck, one on his hip, one on his tailbone, <laughs> one on his knee, one on his calf, like one in his like abdomen. Like basically, his like, entire body is just like out like a like a little like neon pink dot outline. Of, what's the game like, we played when you were kids? Operation? Where yeah, you, I was like, literally just, just like thinking that. Body. It's like the game Operation. Yeah. It's so silly. Yeah, and it's. It's like these are all of Allen Iverson's ailments, and yeah. it's like you know, it's like cracked tailbone, like bursitis in the elbow. You know, he has like a gimpy knee, this, that, and the other. It's like Jesus Christ, this guy's like the Walking Wounded. Yeah. Um, all right. So, do you want to do you want to talk through that 2001 playoff run a little bit? Well, should we go through some of the details, or is or is there more stuff you want to talk about from the 2001 season? Um, there's just one quick moment which which I thought um, was interesting that I found in my research. So in um, during the 2001 season, um, during a game against the Pacers in Indiana, he he basically like got in like a like a yelling fight with uh, uh, Pacer fans behind the bench, oh, um, and used the uh, you know the homophobic slur that I that I mentioned oh. earlier. Uh, keep in mind oh, this gotcha. was this was after his uh, whole rap lyric controversy. Um, gotcha, but. Yeah. Uh, you know, just another like sort of thing that I feel like we can't totally ignore. Can't um, escape. Yeah, it's just but, one of those things he can't escape. Yeah. Yeah, but um, according to Iverson, he he claimed that it was in response to racial slurs that were coming from the fans, um, which uh, he he claimed to have been called uh, the N word, uh, monkey, and jailbird. 
Um, and uh, just an interesting note um, is that Jeff Van Gundy, then the, uh, uh, I believe at that point he was still a head coach of the Knicks in 2001. I'm not totally sure. I forget how long. I think he so. Was. That sounds right. Yeah, um, yeah. But Jeff Van Gundy actually came out in support of, uh, of Iverson and, and his claim, um, saying in an article at the time, quote, Indiana is very bad, as bad as it gets. We've been there a lot. I'm not trying to weigh in on right and wrong in that situation, but certainly Indiana is as bad as any crowd. Um, hmm. So, again, it's like always a little more complicated. Uh, you know, a lot of his behavior was certainly like in response to, um, you know, racism and, and uh, just terrible behavior that, that he was faced with from other people and whether it was opposing fans or media or... Um, whatever it was. So, but I just love that Jeff Van Gundy came out to support him because like <laughs> Van Gundy had like you know as coach of the Knicks had had played in Indiana twice a year and like and sure. during the playoffs and like knew and also I don't know if you remember um, you you saw the uh, the thirty for thirty winning time the Reggie Miller yes. versus the Knicks one yes and I remember course. like yeah. uh, like I'll never forget like that that part in that um, documentary where it discusses uh you know like spike lee's kind of rivalry with with the indiana home crowd and how he was just like he basically just came out and said like this is a fucking bunch of like racist like southern southerners and it like, oh yeah um so it's uh kind of interesting the the way that uh it's kind of echoed in, in van gundy's comments um so um anyway that's just a little tidbit so then yeah let's get to these playoffs the 2001 playoffs which um uh, are just like absolutely knockdown, drag out, epic. Um, in the very first round, the Sixers face off against the Indiana Pacers, who had defeated them, as you remember, in the previous two uh, playoffs. Um, so right off the bat, they're going up against their arch rivals that they have not been able to defeat yet. Um, and in the very first game, Reggie Miller hits like an insane game-winning three with two seconds left. And the Pacers win by one point. Um, and keep in mind that back then this is still a, uh, a five-game series. Um, so it's, uh, you know, first to three wins. Um, so Pacers go up 1-0. In game two, Iverson comes out and scores 45. Um, and then closes out the next two games, scoring 32 and 33. And the Sixers finally defeat uh, the Pacers and move on to round two versus the Toronto Raptors, which is one of the legendary NBA playoff games, or NBA playoff series of all time. Sure, sure. Um, of course, it's Iverson versus uh, Vince Carter uh, of yep. the Raptors. And now you watched, uh, you, you recently rewatched one of these games, correct? All right, so yes, I recently rewatched the Eastern Conference Finals, Game 7 in 2001 between the Sixers and the Raptors. And this is the now game made famous for a few things, but the 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 big thing for Raptor fans looking back on this, you know, uh, Vince Carter left school early. He went to UNC and left school early and famously promised his mom that he would graduate from college. So he got his degree. He continued, I guess he, he would go back every summer and continue with classes and he was graduating in the spring of 2001. And just so happened to be that commencement, the commencement ceremony was on the same day as game seven 
of the 2001 Eastern Conference Finals. So Carter caught, Vince Carter caught a lot of flack for going. He flew to his ceremony that morning in Chapel Hill and then flew uh, up to, chartered a plane, flew up to Philadelphia and he caught a lot of flack. People thought that he would be tired and just not have the energy and be distracted to play well in the game, which was, you know, kind of in hindsight, maybe not the most fair criticism. Um, he actually did play pretty well, all considering. Um, but, I mean, I have a few thoughts on the game. I don't know how how well you remember the game in the series, but um, rewatching that game seven, just a few things that jumped off the screen to me were, you know, Iverson was this, again, it's, it's, it's a theme we keep coming back to, but Iverson was in immense pain. Yeah. I mean, every time, Ben, every time he went to the bench during timeouts, they would show him he would be icing his tailbone. I mean, he was he was grimacing. Like he 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 was in a ton of pain. You know, there there were just so many fun players in this in this series. But one of the guys that I loved watching was Antonio Davis. Yeah. He, first of all, there were a lot of like there were a lot of ex Pacers and Knicks players from our childhood, like from the uh, from like the mid to late. 90s circuit right we were yeah. we were joking earlier that the, the 2001 <laughs> raptors are where our 90s basketball memories went to die like all, all our all our all our basketball heroes from the 90s basically went north of the border and to that toronto team and surrounded vince carter in 2001 yeah. so it was like the likes of charles oakley chris childs um antonio davis who is obviously our you know just like a thorn in our side with the pacers he played with with toronto um, but yeah, it was, I, I, I don't remember Antonio Davis being such an effective player, but he played really well and, uh, he had just a few epic block shots in that series. Really? I mean, just huh. skying high. Yeah, dude, skying high, swatting, swatting shots off the backboard. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was a very much, you know, defense. It was very much a defensive, uh, match, like grudge match b- between the two teams, um, if I remember correctly, Iverson really struggled with his shot in that game seven. Both defenses really forced the opposing star players, Iverson and Vince Carter, to defer to their role players. Mm. So Aaron McKee and Eric Snow both really stepped up in a major way for AI, who actually had a career-high 16 assists in that game. Wow, um, crazy. And Del Curry, I remember, buried a dagger of a three-pointer with under a minute to play. He cuts it to one point. So the the Sixers were very much in control, um, but the the Raptors kind of claw their way back into it. Del Curry ba- buries this this three-pointer with under a minute to play. All of a sudden, it's a one-point game. There's a turnover. Vince Carter gives a get the the Raptors get the ball back. Vince Carter gives a hard pump fake. Tyrone Hill goes flying, <laughs> flying out of the way. Vince Carter has an open open jumper and just clangs it off the rim. And then, you know, the camera, <laughs> the camera fades and pans as Pat Croce is going absolutely wild <laughs> yes. in the owners, <laughs> in the owner's suite with all of his friends. Oh my God. Um, nothing, nothing so more good. like just pure and uncut, like unbridled <laughs> ecstasy uh, as, as yeah. Pat Croce is celebrating in the moment. It's just the most blissful thing, man. Yeah. So that was just yeah. an insane series. Um, Iverson mm-hmm. also made history for scoring 50 or more points in multiple games in a single seven game wow. series. Um, he dropped 54 in game two and then 
dropped 52 in game five, both of which were Sixers wins. Um, and then uh, Carter uh, himself scored a 50 um, in game three. So it was just remembered as this like epic, epic, you know, shootout between these two gunslingers, um, which yes. is, of course makes the game seven, um, you know, kind of like defensive grudge match, even even more kind of like ironic, I guess. Um, yeah, you know, I feel like I don't I don't know if I'm generalizing too much here, or maybe maybe this is just speaks more to this one specific matchup between the Raptors and the Sixers, but it did feel very much like the brand of basketball at this point. Again, maybe it's just this one series was very much like you have this one star alpha dog player and you surround that guy and that's who the offense runs through and you surround that person with role players and i feel like over the years you know it slowly evolved into more basically like more of a team uh concept with like a a big two and a big three and you know now and obviously with the the modern day golden state warriors has like a big four or five whatever you want to call it but but i mean obviously you know jordan and pippen were a uh two-headed monster and they always had a, a third banana whether it was dennis rodman or horace grant but um and then but i, I and then we can talk about Sha- uh shack and kobe who iverson would eventually play in the finals but it, but it was interesting to look at this Raptors Sixer series as very much this kind of like one-on-one, like my big star versus your big star oh, yeah. and a team of role players around that big star. Cause and, so few uh, teams had much, more than one big star. It was just like, you couldn't, you couldn't just assume like, Oh, we'll, we'll just have like three really good players and that's how our team will work. Like, and just, there you know, just wasn't enough was, talent yeah, in the league at that point or something. I, I don't want to speak out of place or whatever. It's, you know, it's, it's certainly not my place to, say or make a judgment about this sort of thing but it does it did seem at least that those guys liked it like it seemed like uh, Allen Iverson seemed like the sort of guy that oh well I know he liked it like he openly talked about he loved his teammates and he never complained about he never complained about his teammates like one of the big criticisms of those um of Iverson and and those Sixer teams was like oh well he never won a championship and his his um people would would defend him and say like well look at look at his teammates like who did he have playing with him but Iverson would never complained about his teammates he yeah. never he you know he never he never he never requested that they trade for like a big marquee star player. He never requested that they trade for a, a, like a fellow MVP or right. anything like that. He and was he, happy to be. He clearly like would have had ample opportunity to, to lash out at, at Sixers GM Billy King, who like was, yes. was one of like, let's be honest, like one of the most incompetent uh, GMs uh, pretty much in the league. Like just like, I mean, but it, it does kind of feel like, that was sort of the only system that Iverson would have really like worked in Accepted. Like, that yeah. way. I mean, later in his career, he teamed up with Carmelo in Denver and that kind of worked, but it wasn't like... It's hard to ever imagine Allen Iverson as like a role player or much less even like a second banana yeah. or a third banana. Cle- clearly, like, you know, that, like it didn't work when he that you know role was, was forced upon him later in his career, right. as we'll get to. Right. He just like was not wired that way. Yeah. Yeah. He's just like, yeah, that just wasn't him. Anyways, that Sixers Raptors series was an interesting, you know, observation. It was just like an in- interesting observation that I had about that Sixers Raptors series that it did seem to be like kind of like a referendum on this kind of like our star player versus your star player um, concept. 
All right, we're going to hit pause there for now. We'll come back in the next episode and discuss the incredible 2001 finals between AI's Philadelphia 76ers and Shaq, Kobe, and the Los Angeles Lakers. My name is Chris Wendelkin. This is On The Line. You can tweet at me at online underscore pod. Find me on Instagram. Check out previous episodes of the show at onthelinepodcast.com. Please rate, review, subscribe to the show on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. Enjoy watching the NBA. Enjoy the NCAA tournament. And I will talk to you guys next week.